Hi, this is KJ, and uh, welcome back to I'm 62 and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. This is episode 10, and what I was going to talk about today was part 2 of January 4th, the day that I was served with divorce papers. I talked a little bit on the past episode about how I was served at our couple counseling's office and that the counselor read the divorce papers to me since I did not understand what I was being served with and I had to go home. And I didn't know how to go home after all this. I remember going and sitting in my car and I called my former boss and asked him what to do. And his recommendation was to call a friend and have a friend go with you back to the house because you didn't know what you were going to find. And that was kind of an understatement. So I did call a friend of mine who had been my former boss and her, her and her husband. And then I called one of my neighbors. And we all met at my house. And I was a blubbering mess. There's just no other way to put it other than I was in shock. I was crying hard. And it had been about two hours between the time that I'd received the papers and been served and been explained to what's going on and made a few phone calls to request some assistance to get to the house. Fortunately, my neighbor was bright enough to know that I needed a locksmith to change the locks right away. My friend's husband also knew that they were able to see that our boat was still in the driveway that it hadn't been taken as part of, you know, collateral on a settlement agreement. So he brought over a chain and chained up the hitch. Coming into the house was one of the hardest things that I'd ever done. I get up to the door and I can see, fortunately, the only good thing that Dick Doodle did for me was that he left the dog. And I know he didn't leave the dog out of the kindness of his heart. He abandoned both his dog and he abandoned me and he abandoned, you know, the cats. But he really wasn't a cat person. But the dog was traumatized. The dog was his dog. And he was the sweetest dog in the world. And I'm forever grateful that he didn't take the dog. Wanted to take the dog later, but that's another story. We pull up to the house and it's pouring down rain. And my neighbor comes up and we wait for the locksmith. And the locksmith comes in and opens the door. And I find that the house has been stripped. And even taken some of the furniture. They come upstairs to the office and he had a safe. And he had taken every single piece of paper, all the tax returns, all the bank account information, all of the credit cards, everything he had taken. The only thing that was laid out was my birth certificate and the title to the 2003 car. 
That was and the boat. Yes, the title to the boat trailer was still here. I didn't know any of the banking information because the only thing that I kept was the Costco Visa card or the Costco American Express at that time and uh, a Target card. I mean, that's the only credit cards that I had. That's the only thing I needed. So I didn't have the checkbooks. I didn't have money market accounts. I didn't have the savings accounts. I, I didn't know any where any of this stuff was. He uh, took, he cleaned out the kitchen because he and Honey Badger, his girlfriend, opened up a cannabis-friendly Airbnb, and they took the coffee pot, George Foreman, the crock pot, all of the kitchen cutlery, all the knives, all of the, you know, kitchen utensils, mixing bowls. Did not take the dishes, which was, you know, it's a stranger not to have taken the dishes, but um, he went through the set of uh, flatware that we'd gotten for a wed our wedding. This stuff was close to 30 years old. He took four spoons, four, it was place setting of eight. He took four spoons, four forks, four dinner forks, four tablespoons, four knives, four steak knives, and left the other four stacked up on the counter. When I came upstairs and found that he had taken all the electronics, he had disabled my laptop and took the battery from it. He had taken the cell phones, the printer, and anything of any value. The weird thing, and this will tell you the level of deviantness that he went through. So the way the house is, is that there's a very tall staircase that comes upstairs to the office. And we had skied, always taken a ski vacation, you know, over the past 30 some odd years. And whenever we went to a ski resort, we'd get one of those uh, hokey, cheesy, on-mountain photos. And so, I mean, I had a collection of about 50 of those because sometimes we went to Whistler and sometimes we went to Whistler and Lake Tahoe. Sometimes we'd go to, you know, two or three different resorts on the same trip, you know, go to Tahoe, go to Sierra, go to Kirkwood kind of thing, and then just get one of those photos at each one of those locations. So the stairwell is very steep, and so there's a wall a big wall there and I had framed all of those photos and hung them along the wall so when I'm walking back down to go down the stairs he had taken all of those photos down and taken the time to cut himself out of every one of those photos and then put them back in the frame and rehang them so when I turned around to go down the stairs and look, here's a wall full of 50 photos that had been hacked up. I don't know what kind of a sick mind thinks that that is. I don't know if that was supposed to be amusing, if he thought that that was going to be cute, if he thought, you know, this was a good way to jab at me. But it was just tells you the level of depravity of where he's at when he's doing this. I don't know if the girlfriend 
was in the house, my my guess is she probably was. Because the only thing of my personal items, other than, you know, the joint stuff that was gone, the only thing that was missing was I had a Seahawks hat that was signed by one of the players, and it was the hat that I wore to the games, and it hung on the hat rack in the dining room, and that hat is gone. So I think she thinks that that was a way, somebody thinks, I can't imagine that he took my hat, because it was obviously a girl's hat, the, you know, it was low profile, and it had a big signature across it. What is strange is that that probably wasn't the, that wasn't the greatest piece of autograph memorabilia that I have. I mean, I've got books, and I've got race car drivers, and I've got rock stars and stuff like that, that have been signed by authors, and those are the kind of things, but that particular one, I don't know if they thought that was the one that was going to jab me the most, but uh, yeah, I took that. That first night, the dog was so traumatized that he peed in the house. But I don't know what they did to that poor dog while this was all happening. She had a dog, and she had the Airbnb thing advertised on Airbnb and she had her dog advertised on Airbnb. So I would imagine Sammy, my dog, Kevin's dog, um, he was pretty hyper. He was high strung. He was flat coat retriever. So he was that constant puppy. Her dog was an older dog. I don't know if it was always the same dog. Or if uh, she just kept going to the pound and getting old dogs so that they looked, you know, attractive on her website. That would be my guess. But he would not, you know, Sammy would not have been a dog that was ideal to have around people who were trying to, you know, get high at the Airbnb. First night in the house, I couldn't sleep. I do go back to work the next day. And I'm shell shock. I don't have any money. I had twenty dollars and a quarter tank of gas. Fortunately, a friend, as I said, I had, I called some friends the next day and told them what had happened, and he had the nerve. Dick Doodle had the nerve to um, post on Facebook that he was so relieved that I was a psychopath that he could now get on with his life. He was free and he was gonna be able to speak out about everything, all of the things that were wrong with me. And he wanted everybody to know how this was going down. Funny thing was, is by for him doing that, he kept posting on Facebook all of these crazy things and I was getting screenshots of them. I didn't know what else to do. I just want to know I needed to save this stuff because he was taking it down and reposting and taking it down and reposting it. Well, a friend took me to the bank and we opened up a checking account so that I could have some independent money. And he had even taken my January paycheck, so literally I had no money. I had to, the one thing that I was reminded by my next door neighbor, I was reminded that, uh, there was a gun. Dick Doodle had a shotgun. And I could not locate the gun. I looked all over the house for the gun. So I called the police department. And they came over. 
and they recommended that I get a restraining order. So I went and got a seven-day temporary restraining order. Well, I only had 20 days to respond to the divorce decree. So in this going to court, getting a restraining order, at the same time interviewing attorneys, trying to find a divorce attorney, at the same time that I'm borrowing money to put gas in my car, at the same time I'm borrowing money to put a retainer on for an attorney. And we were able to, I was able to get all of that done. So about three days later, I'm in the living room and uh, got one of those big old honking um, entertainment centers in the living room. And I'm playing with the dog and he's pretty much recovered. And I was actually taking the dog with me to work every day because I was afraid that he'd come back and get the dog. Because there's a, you know, there's a loose window in the back of the house and it would have been very very easy for him to get into the house and then let himself out and take the dog and I was deathly afraid he was going to come back and take the dog or let the cats out just out of spite so I was taking the dog with me to work every day fortunately you know um it was cool out it was January so there was no problem, you know, having him in the car and then I'd go down at lunch and let him out. And I just had to have him with me. So come home a couple of days later and we're playing fetch in the living room and trying to keep my mind off of things. And the ball rolls underneath the entertainment center. I guess you're probably wondering why I'm going to, going around this corner. So I reach under the entertainment center to get the ball. And there is a wireless camera set up in the entertainment center in the living room and I freaked out so I called my boss who used to work at Microsoft and told him what was going on and he told me how to disable it and then I found the box laying behind the safe so I knew what it was so I picked up the box and I did not touch the camera but I call the police again. So the police come and they take down the, the camera and they take it into evidence and they take the box and they have, you know, the photographs that were cut in half, the shotgun missing, the GPS that was put on my car and now a wireless camera. In the end, they would not file any charges against him on that because he had put it in. He was still, you know, uh, owner in the house and he had put it in the car, which was on his property. And he put the wireless camera in. And at that point, it was still his property. So the police would not charge him with anything. However, the uh, King County saw that as being predatory behavior and they gave me a one-year protection order funny thing with protection orders is that they're not good until you actually serve the individual you are getting the order against so we were sending out these uh documents i had a process server the sheriff server well he went underground and we could not find him and I ended up having to go to court two or three times before we could get a judge to say that 
they would summons him since he was, you know, he, he had an attorney at the time and they would summons him to court as part of the divorce and then he could be served with the protection order there. So it was this orchestrated thing between the judge and the victim's office and the police department. And they were wonderful. I can't say enough about how I was treated and the level of respect and the sensitivity that all three organizations treated me with. So we were able to serve when he was called back into court for the 20 days with the divorce. When we went to family law court to start the divorce proceedings, they awarded him $1,000 a month. Plus I had to pay his medical. So that meant I was spending $1,800 a month on him. And I'm the one that has the protection ordered against him because he had, he swore that he was indigent and that his only source of income was his $900 pension and that he didn't have any medical insurance and that I was, since I was covering him, I was covering him and it was costing $900 a month. And I think I talked earlier about the fact that when he, when we finished the, the first house, the rental house, that he had the opportunity to go back to work and he could have gotten retiree medical for working only 800 hours and he didn't do that. And here, you know, fast forward to four years later, I get stuck with the bill for the fact that he wouldn't work for 800 hours to get his retiree medical. So I've got to cover him with the same medical insurance that he's always had. I couldn't even downgrade the coverage. I had to keep him with, you know, comprehensive coverage because that was the coverage that he had. And I had to carry that until the divorce was final. You know, the same thing with the, with the um, support order. In the end, it cost me about $25,000 over the course of that year to keep him with a, while I've got a protection order against this man, he has raided the house. He has taken all of the family assets. He's taken everything with him. He left me with a quarter tank of gas and a $20 bill. And I had to borrow $10,000 to get through this. On top of that, to add insult to injury, I had to pay his medical insurance of $800 a month and $1,000 a month support because I was employed. In the end, that worked against him because we got a wonderful judge at the divorce and they took all of that into account against his against his settlement. So in, in essence, I got it all back. But at that particular point in time, I had no money. I ended up getting, um, the only way that I found out where the house payment was going, where the um, bank accounts were is it was January and as January's rolling around, you start getting all of the tax documents. Well, as I got tax documents, I would call and say, this is the situation and can you tell me what's going on? And that's how I found, you know, where this stuff was. So I had to re, re I had to re, um, oh, what's a good word? I had to recreate all of this stuff. And you don't know when you've been, when somebody's been doing finances for, you know, for 35 years for you, and I'm really not a numbers person, 
the best piece of advice that I got was from the divorce attorney who said, you know, you need to open a checking account and you need to pay your bills on paper so that you learn how to pay bills. I mean, I literally had not had a checking account since I was 20 years old. And here I am, 58 years old. I'd never paid a bill. I had no idea how to open and close credit cards. I never did any of that. There was no reason for me to do it. I, I went to work and the money got deposited into our joint account. And he took care of the bills and he did all of the financing. And uh, he did some refinancing. Uh, kind of find out, you know, long story short, he did some creative refinancing and forged my name. He opened other accounts and was doing money laundering. And that's an, a story in itself. But he was doing all sorts of stuff there towards the end that I didn't pick up on. The only way I found out what my credit rating was and what the depth of the debt was and why I was getting garnished was right then costco and i'd always had a costco american express so costco switched over to visa and they automatically sent you a new visa card and so i'd always had an american express card and i like you know going up to canada and stuff like that and you, you don't have to pay fees on it so i applied to get an american express card and not thinking anything of it and i get rejected because of my credit rating well i didn't even know how to pull a credit report. So I talked to the divorce attorney and she told me how to pull a credit report. And when I pulled a credit card, credit report, he'd opened 19 credit cards in my name and had to run up $63,000 worth of debt and had defaulted on it. That's why I'm getting a garnishment. So on top of me having to pay $1,000 a month support, on top of paying $800 a month for his medical on top of not even having a January paycheck. I now have a credit rating of 580 and $63,000 worth of debt and 19 credit cards that had been run up and closed, which I had to then apply for a couple of those credit cards that you pay a monthly fee on just so I had some flexibility in paying bills. He had taken out a HELOC, you know, home equity loan of credit against this house. And just as this all was happening, it matured, you know, first I'm making $200 a month payments and then I get a notice of maturity on it. And all of a sudden it shoots up to $1,000 a month. So there's another $1,000 a month. So not only am I racking up attorney bills and paying support and paying for his medical and trying to get a handle on everything, this, this is happening. It's extremely traumatic. Uh, I was talking to my therapist today and, you know, I'm still triggered on January 4th. Especially this year, since January 4th was a Monday, which was the same day that it kind of happened. And um, I was having some really bad anxiety, and to tell you the truth, I still am. Fortunately, you know, or unfortunately, I turned around, and then last year at this time, 
I got a new boss and he decides to eliminate my position and I had to actually sue my employer to get my job back. And then I had to, you know, it was one of those things where I was fortunate it did happen in January as, as painful as it was, but if it had happened two months later, once COVID hit, I would not be sitting here today. I don't know what would have happened to me. That was the, the timing was, was good, even though it piled on another trauma on January 4th, um, at least by the time I got it settled and um, moved on, COVID, you know, COVID had hit. So, um, yeah. So in the short of things, the next kind of the next segment would be is what it's like to see somebody that you lived with for 37 years and you walk into a courtroom and, uh, I didn't recognize him. He had different clothes on. You're sitting there with an attorney, and there's, you know, you're in a in a courtroom. There's actually, you know, for the preliminary hearing, there's a lot of people. In the, you know, they, they just, it's a kind of a cattle call where they just go through case after case after case after case. And I'm sitting there with my attorney, and uh, we're waiting for my name to get called. And I'm asking her. I said, I don't see dick doodle around anywhere and she goes no that's him sitting right over there. that's his lawyer right over there because she knew who was representing him and when i took a look at him i did not recognize him he'd shaved his head got different clothes on and even in the few weeks that i hadn't seen him it looked like he'd lost another 10 pounds so my guess is that he was about 510 and about 120 pounds so he really did look like the heroin chic that you that you believe. And it's not a good look on a 62 year old man to have the heroin chic and a shaved head. So uh, I was in shock. I was just absolutely flabbergasted of his appearance because he was always such a pain in the ass about his appearance and the amount of money that I spent on his teeth and everything else. I mean, we, we spent on his teeth. Uh, it was, it was really strange to see somebody that you'd lived with for that length of time and in a matter of three weeks you don't recognize him because all the ugliness had come out and now he was nothing but ugly so that is kind of the story for today it's a long it's a long story and uh, again if anybody ever wants to contact me I'm at S-K-Y-E-R-K-A-Y-J-A-Y at, <laughs> I keep messing that up. Let me try that again. It's S-K-Y-E-R-K-A-Y-J-A-Y-1958 at yahoo.com. Have a good week. I'll pick up where I left off or maybe I won't. Maybe I will talk about uh, some of the craziness, other craziness that's going on in my life. Trying to sell this house. Had a couple more floods. Lost, had a major flood. Had a major flood last weekend. Some douchebag decided to disable my sump pump. And within about 12, we have had a record amount of rain here. In two weeks, we had seven inches of rain. And uh, all seven inches ended up in my basement which then I went down there and everything was floating. Fortunately, I figured out what happened to the sump pump and I was able to get it running. 
but at my calculation, there was 265 gallons of water. And since the pump only runs two and a half gallons an hour out of here, it took almost it took over two days to get it dried. And now the pump has some silt in it, and I have to spend the weekend putting on a new hose and trying to build a little basket or something for the pump to sit in so it doesn't get clogged again. So it's flooded three times in the past 10 days, uh, two times at about an inch and the one time about six inches, just about lost the hot water heater and the brand new $4,000 hot water heater and a furnace, which would not have been good. So have a good week and I'll find something to talk about next week. Maybe I'll find my notes because I kept a journal during that whole period of the first six months during the divorce. And let me see if I can find the journal and I could read some of the entries to you and uh, see what real time what I was thinking. So have a good week. I plan I try to do this every week, but, you know, there was an emergency last week and an emergency the week before. So I'm trying to keep a schedule. But thanks again for listening. I see I have 10 listeners. I appreciate every one of you. And uh, we'll talk again. Bye-bye.